Welcome to Chalk and Coffee, where you can grab a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever you fancy, and sit back, relax, and join our extraordinary ESL community. Here you'll meet like-minded educators dedicated to making a difference in the lives of their students and hone your craft. I'm Jacqueline Millay, the host of Chalk and Coffee, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. How does your class sound? Is it quiet, broken only by the sound of scratching pencils and discreet whispers? Are your students spending the majority of their time reading and responding, or are they studying grammar? Students sometimes do more listening than they do speaking. They hear a native speaker, either the teacher or some audio, and then they test their comprehension via paper and pencil activities like a matching game. And while this type of learning gives students the correct language input, research consistently shows the value of having students speak the language as a way of learning it. In fact, here in Quebec, interacting orally is the anchor for both the primary and the secondary ESL curriculum. That said, oral interaction in a classroom packed to the gills with students and the fear of other teachers complaining about your class's noise level prove daunting challenges to say the least. In today's podcast, we'll talk about what makes for a good ESL classroom conversation, also known as an oral interaction task. We'll talk about how to get your students talking, how to help them do it better with corrective feedback, and how to organize so you can effectively evaluate both in a classroom and online. If we have time, we'll discuss what to do to help our nonverbal students as well. I'll start the podcast off with the more theoretical side of things, and then we'll bring in some guest teachers to have a boots on the ground perspective. Let's begin with defining exactly what I mean when I say oral interaction. For our littles in the very beginning years of ESL, we ask students to communicate orally in English, relying heavily on visual support, They imitate the rhythmic sounds of the English language, and we ask them to use words or strings of words to initiate a message or perhaps to respond to one. In later elementary, we want our students to start using targeted functional language during brief exchanges as they participate in classroom routines and tasks related to familiar topics, eventually broadening their scope of topics. In high school, students continue to use functional language, express personalized messages in increasingly more spontaneous and complex situations, and we ask students to maintain exchanges through stating opinions, describing things, and asking peers to do the same. By the end of high school, our students should be able to initiate conversations, respond to and maintain an exchange with increasingly more complex sentence structure and about more complex and abstract topics. We should begin to hear consistent and spontaneous interaction with varied functional language and some idiomatic expressions. These are the skills that need to be taught though. So how do we do it? How do we get them talking and not only talking, but speaking well? We need to model. We need to provide input, we need to give them a purpose to communicate, and we need to offer support and give feedback. 
Modeling is often referred to as I do, we do, you do. And in the context of ESL, the term modeling means you're demonstrating the pronunciation of a word so that learners can hear how it's supposed to sound and then mimic and practice the pronunciation. We just want to be careful to underline the word pronunciation here. It doesn't mean accent. Accents can be so different depending on where you're from and your own English experience. In fact, I love exposing my students to lots of different kinds of English and English speakers. I do it through TED Talks, audiobooks, film. An accent is really, it just means that uh, you speak another language and, or that you've come from another place in the world, and could be English speaking or not. Um, so an accent is... Uh, not the focus, it really is the pronunciation. And if you're actually interested in hearing about how um, L2 ESL teachers um, handle their accents, you might wanna check out our episode number nine. So let's get back to what we were talking about. Modeling not only promotes learning and motivation for the students, but it also increases their self-confidence. They'll have a stronger belief that they can accomplish the learning task if they follow the steps that were demonstrated. It's a part of scaffolding lessons to promote success. To vary the models your students have, you might wanna try bringing different input into the classroom from various sources. Like I said, I use TED Talks, but you might wanna use other teachers. There's great places online that you can find virtual FaceTime pen pals, or you might in, invite guest speakers, some parents might be willing to come in, and of course their peers. We wanna hear them, uh, we wanna have them listen to their peers. So an authentic purpose to communicate is not repeating after the teacher or simply reciting a poem or reading lines from a script. And while these may be helpful as models, in reality, we rarely plan ahead what we want to say. We kind of leave it to the moment of interaction and then tune our utterances to it as the conversation unfolds. We relate them to previous utterances and we think about what might be said in the future of the conversation. And this concept is actually called contingency in language teaching literature. And an authentic purpose to communicate means that students need to inform people of something convince them of something, express their opinion, or for the sole and valuable purpose to entertain. So when we chat with our guests, we'll take a look more closely at actual activities that can do all of that. Before we get to the communicating part, we need to make sure that the students have what they need to get there. So you've modeled and now it's time to offer some different supports so that they can get to the fun part of actually communicating with each other. And that means hanging posters, using little flip rings. Uh, I, I've started using bookmarks in my classroom again. You might wanna post sentence starters or prompts or cues up on your interactive smart board. You might wanna provide them with a vocabulary sheet. Um, all of these different kinds of things give the students the support they need to use the language with confidence. And then once they start talking, the fun begins. But so do the errors. So just like in writing, we need to provide our students with corrective feedback. And some teachers might just want to 
get and keep students talking, but studies really do show that teacher feedback has the most impact on student learning in all areas of language acquisition, including oral production. Corrective feedback is not a new theme in second language acquisition because of the important place it occupies in pedagogy. We've heard about it time and time again. Um, and we as practitioners are faced with the conundrums of whether learners' errors should be responded to, and if so, when and how that feedback should be provided to achieve the optimal instructional effect. That feedback that, we're, that I'm talking about, it really does need to be timely, it needs to be balanced, it should be clear, explicit, and allow for the students to continue their practice. So, little little anecdote here, I was lucky to begin one degree and finish another with a very inspiring professor and a great contributor to second language acquisition research named Roy Lister. He and the co-author, um, Ranta, identified and wrote about six types of corrective strategies. And I'll drop a link in um, for their research in the podcast notes, so don't worry. But um, let's take, for example, the mistake, um, he like basketball, um, uttered by a student. So teachers can use something called a recast, and that is when the teacher would utter something like, oh, he likes basketball. And here you're simply reformulating the error. Fun fact, recasts are actually the most frequent feedback type in all instructional settings, and their popularity is most likely due to the fact that they're pretty non-intrusive. And while they aren't known as the most effective tool, they do provide um, some scaffolding when the content or knowledge required to continue an interaction is beyond what our learner is capable of doing. So a second type of feedback uh, is called prompts. These come in a bunch of different forms and they provide signals to the learner that prompt them to self-repair rather than simply providing them with the correct um, form of the, um, the utterance. And so prompts can include, for example, clarification requests. And that might be alerting the learner to the error and providing the correct form. So you might want to say, sorry, and then the learner would try and re-utter the, the sentence again. So they would try and, and hopefully self-correct. Um, you might want to alert the learner to the error by providing the correct form. That This would be explicit correction, and you could say, no, you should say likes, as in he likes basketball. There's also making metalinguistic comments. Um, you need to use the third person singular here, and that gets your student, if they're at that place in their learning, to reflect upon the language in a different way and what they're saying in a different way. And then you might wanna just sort of elicit that correct form by starting the sentence and not finishing it. So eliciting the correct form might sound like he, and then you pause dramatically. Um, you might wanna repeat the wrong sentence again, which is repetition, and put a, a, a question intonation on the end of your sentence, he like basketball. And that would prompt the student to be a little bit more aware of what they're saying. 
So if you're wondering which type of feedback is the most effective, in a study conducted by uh, Lister and Izquierdo in, back in 2009, there were benefits reported to all forms of feedback. So try them all out. Don't be shy. You, you might notice that some of your students respond better to other forms of feedback and go with that. So just a quick recap of the six corrective strategies. One, we've got a recast. Two is explicit correction. Three is asking for clarification. Four is metalinguistic feedback. Five is elicitation. And six is repetition. In the past, I've written all of these on sticky notes and I've put them in my agenda actually. And I've really tried to focus my teaching on doing and delivering and using some of these corrective strategies very intentionally. And I find that it gets me away from always using the same one. So that might be a technique you wanna use. Now, feedback doesn't just have to be regarding errors. We wanna encourage proper speech as well, but good job doesn't work. It's, it's not specific enough. The students won't be able to identify what they're doing well. So we might wanna use and shift our language to things that say, you asked good questions to your partner. Uh, you can give feedback to your students on their vocabulary choices, on their accurate use of grammar or pronunciation. These are all different little ways that we can provide feedback, both to encourage the correct use of language and to fix the errors in our students' language. So now that we know what and how and when to provide feedback, let's talk about how to get our kids talking. And to do that, we have some guests that will be joining us. So I'm so happy to have uh, two very wonderful colleagues with me today, and uh, I would like to introduce them and then we'll talk about, or they will talk about what they're doing in their classrooms with uh, oral interaction and evaluation. So maybe we can start with uh, Fiona. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? So hi, as you said, my name is Fiona and I've been teaching in a high school for um, the school I'm in. I've been at for about six years. I've taught English and Spanish there. Great. And Prash, you want to give a little intro to yourself? Yes. Hi, uh, my name is Prash, like uh, Jackie said, and I teach secondary four and five in the same high school as Fiona. And uh, it's been we've been there for a while and enjoying this very peculiar year. <laughs> it is very peculiar. Yes. <laughs> Great. So um, I just wonder, Fiona, maybe you could start by describing one of your favorite uh, C1 or oral interaction activities that goes really well in your class. Okay, well, this activity I actually did only one year, but it's my favorite of all time. I think I had one or two classes left before a break, and I just wanted to find an activity to do. And one of my colleagues suggested to do this um, stranded on a desert island activity. So what I did is I told each student to take out a sheet of paper and write down the 10 things that they would take off the boat if they were stranded on a desert island and the boat was about to take 
could catch fire or explode or something. So each student had to write 10 things that they would take off. They had got on a cruise with everything that they needed and they had only space for 10 things to carry onto the island with them. Once that was finished, I paired them two by two and then they had to take their 20 things down to 10. And they thought that was okay. And you know, a little bit of debate going on and they had to give each other reasons for why their thing was more important than the other ones. And as the class progressed, um, it went from two to four to eight to eventually oh. the class and the whole class. So at the end of the activity, it was really, really noisy and chaotic, but for on my side, not very easy to evaluate, but by that time I should have gotten all my grades down. But for the kids, it was really, really fun to have this huge loud debate. And then of course, at the end, we have to kind of find something to bring it back down. So bring it to the front of the class and write the 10 things that the maybe two halves of the class came up with and have a whole group. Or if we had time to do the whole class, then have the 10 things up on the board just to calm them down a bit. Such a cool activity. That's awesome. I love it. Prash, what, uh, what was your favorite activity that you've done so far? Well, this is also an activity that I have not been able to do this year because of uh, the COVID situation that's been imposed on us. But something that I really like to do with my older students are uh, research projects. And because I mostly teach enriched English, uh, my students often do original research using various scholarly tools. And as a rule, what I do is I give them individual topics and put them in groups. So each group has their own topic and the students then have to divide the research question up into the number of people in the group, so four or five, and they do their research separately and then they have to come back together in class and share the results of their research So because each of them becomes an expert in a different dimension of whatever it is that they're working on. And uh, it forces them to communicate in a very authentic setting. They almost forget about paying attention to the language and they're really just communicating and talking. And I love using that as a C1 evaluation because it's just so real. And that allows me to really observe them while they're using the language as a communication tool, which is ultimately what we need to do anyways, right? That's awesome. So I, I love in both of those instances, um, the students have a real purpose. So Fiona's is a little bit with a, a younger clientele and the purpose is a little bit more entertainment for them. Um, Prash, yours is a little bit more um, academic driven. So they're looking for something very factual and they're going to be held accountable when they get back into their discussion groups. It's Yours is almost like a, a jigsaw that, uh, that they're doing, but a self-driven jigsaw activity. Um, do either of you any uh, use any sort of support? Like how do you support the oral that's going on in the, in the um, interaction? Well, on my side, it really depends on the group I, that I have. Uh, I've had years where my kids were really strong. I didn't need any functional language to go with it. And I've had years where I would write down uh, some key sentences on the board, uh, either for the whole group or for the few students who were weaker and needed it in the class. Um, if I was doing this activity now, I would probably tie it into uh, some kind of unit where we had seen vocabulary um, so that they would be able to refer to their vocabulary from the previous readings or something like that. But I don't think it was necessary on the, in, during the year that I did it. Okay, cool. Prash, do you, do you ever feel like you need to offer some kind of support for the students? On occasion, yes. But Again, like Fiona mentioned, uh, my students end up being strong most of the time because I teach enriched mostly. 
but uh, they occasionally need language and particularly help with vocabulary when they're doing research on more specialized topics. Like the, the project I mentioned earlier is, uh, is on bioethics and each group gets their own individual topic within the larger realm of bioethics. So I occasionally have to help them out with language and when they read research articles published by scientists, they need their hand held, uh, especially when they're trying to explain the data and the information that they've collected to their colleagues. So I have to be present fairly close by, at least, in order to help them out. So, is there yeah. any, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Is there any modeling that you, you show them? Do you show them like, um, I don't know, a, a video of researchers discussing research or? Yes. I actually showed them a video of uh, a conference that I attended several years ago in which there are various researchers discussing topics closely related to one of the topics that I use as, as a modeling tool. And uh, I let the kids hear the language in particular that's being used because they're not necessarily familiar with, with that vocabulary right. in particular. Nice. So I, I like that in both cases, there's uh, modeling, there's purpose, there's support provided. How do you, Fiona, you were talking about how, um, how sometimes it gets a little un, unruly um, to be e doing your evaluation, but do you find yourself able to provide feedback or do any type of evaluation in those settings? Yes, because the groups start off being two by two, then four by four. So usually by that time, I have most of my grades done already. And if I don't, I can focus on the certain kids that I missed in the eight by eight. And it's only at the end where you have kind of a quarter or half of the class talking at the same time or trying to get their ideas through that it gets more chaotic and more difficult to evaluate. But at that point, I'm in there for the purpose rather than the, the language being used. Okay. So kids think they're doing it just to get the, the 10 things out of it more than anything else, which is what makes it more fun. Yeah. Okay. And, and what about you, Prash? Do you do any of uh, the evaluation or feedback during, during those discussions? Evaluation, yes. Feedback, not right away. Um, I wait for the CIVAN feedback to happen later on, probably even the following period, because I want the students to stay on task and continue sharing their information, because they are communicating for the ultimate goal of, of building a project together. And I don't necessarily want to interrupt that process. So normally uh, there are five to six groups in the classroom that are discussing at the same time. So it's a noisy place. And I sit down with one of the groups. Every group is required to have an extra chair for me to sit down. I don't like, I don't like looming over them because that makes them nervous. So I just sit with them and I take part in the conversation with them. And, um, and I write notes the whole time. And the following period, they get the feedback. Okay, cool. That's good. Actually, I didn't talk about feedback. I was talking mostly about grading. I find that um, the kids who are engaged don't really need feedback uh, on the spot, but some kids who are weaker, especially if you have a class where there's a lot of enriched students and a few regular students might need more support or more help. So I will also go into that group and either tell them, oh, look at this vocabulary. You have it on the sheet of paper, so use that. Or I will ask them uh, specific questions. There's also sometimes some kids who tend to be over enthusiastic, so take over the whole conversation more like a speech than an interaction. So I tell them, okay, now you are responsible for leading the conversation, which means you have to ask the questions and listen before you get to give your own opinion. 
Okay, that's really cool. That's good. Um, and so this is all being done in a classroom setting. What have you guys managed to do during all of this online uh, um, adventure this year? Have you done anything in particular, Prash? Uh, yeah, I have set up, uh, I've sort of replicated the classroom online using a Discord server. Uh, okay. Discord is a really cool tool. It's originally meant for people who play video games online. <laughs> uh, as a voice over IP discussion um, with other gamers tool. I've adapted it to my classroom where I've set up my own private server. And inside of that server, there are various voice channels and text channels. Uh, and my students have access to it at all times. So when I need them to discuss in groups, instead of putting them in breakout rooms, which I find are difficult to manage and I can't keep a handle on all of them all the time, I use the Discord server instead and have the kids go in there, which they can do very quickly. It takes them about five seconds. And most of them are already familiar with it anyways. They knew about Discord even before I brought it into the classroom. Okay. And uh, then I can I'm just... sorry, can you just spell it? It's a Discord, like uh, Yeah, Discord, like a... D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Oh, okay. And it's pretty user-friendly, so non-techie yeah. teachers can kind of get their hands on it? Oh, yes. It should take you about a couple of minutes of playing around, and you should have a handle on it quite easily. Okay, and you can jump in and out of each of the Discord rooms. Is that how that works? Yep, I can jump in and out uh, between the various rooms instantly. And because it's a separate window and it's quite, what's really nice about it is that there's a chat that goes with it and the chat is static. It doesn't go away even when the room is closed. Even oh. more, what's also nicer is that the kids can go into the Discord server even when I'm not around. It's okay. up all the time. And sometimes I give them projects to work on this year, even though they're online. And occasionally they might decide to work at eight o'clock in the evening when I'm not there, but they can still use Discord, the channel that has been set aside for them and use that both to share documentation um, and written comments, as well as talk at any oh. time. Wow, that's pretty cool. Quite nice. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. Uh, I heard about Discord from my students, I think, last year, and I had no idea what it was. But now that you say it's about video games originally, it makes a lot of sense that they would know about it. <laughs> um, what I Well, I've been teaching mostly in person, but we did have a few days before uh, the winter break and a few days after the winter break where we had to be online. So I made this activity uh, based on the game Would You Rather. Um, and I did use breakout rooms, and for me, it worked really well. What I liked about the breakout rooms uh, add-on to Google, to Chrome, was that it was really easy to either put my mic on or off and just skip from one to the other. I would have my microphone off and my camera off unless I needed to give feedback in that group. And I would just listen, and they wouldn't know whether I was there or not. So they kind of had to be on task all the time. And sometimes I would just start talking if they were off task or speaking French or something like that. And they're like, oh, Miss Moises is there. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, and this is the, oh, uh, the teacher is here. So uh, let's get back on task. And what I liked about it, I could either listen to all the teams at the same time or use the function where you skip from one room to the other, where as soon as you skip, the audio goes from one room to the other. What I would do is I would speak, if I needed to speak to the whole class, I would go in the main room and say something to the whole class. And if not, I would just address the group that needed to hear my feedback. Okay, so uh, you did, you made an ad, it was an add-on that you used on to the Google Meets. Yes. Okay. 
So uh, it's a breakout rooms. It's got a little purple uh, square with the white B in the middle. Okay. I've more than one extension that you can use. And in the activity, I also used Pear Deck. So what I did is I had them write, I gave them an example. So I modeled it in front of the class. I had a picture of a teenager wearing a t-shirt in a snowstorm. And I had another picture of somebody from the back in full winter here on a hot beach where everybody's wearing a bathing suit. So I said, would you rather uh, have to spend 30 minutes outside in a snowstorm uh, wearing a t-shirt or uh, half an hour on the beach on a very hot day without taking off any of your winter clothes. And then I asked them for the reasons. So I kind of modeled how to ask, how to uh, find the reasons. And if they just said, oh, this one, I said, well, why? And okay, but have you ever considered this? And then I said, okay, you understand the concept of the game. Now go and write your own four would you rather questions and then go into your breakout rooms. And I uh, explained how to cycle, cycle from the first student asking everybody and then the second student asking everybody, et cetera. That's awesome. So I, mine was a little more labor intensive when I did it. I created different Google Meets and posted a calendar in the Google chat. And so the kids, I just assigned them to one of the Google Meet rooms and opened everything on my computer. And then like you kind of jumped in and out. And, uh, and, and it worked because they didn't know whenever I was there or, or when I was there. So it was, it, there's a little bit more accountability. They don't they, they stay on task a little more. <laughs> yeah, what I liked about the extension is that you have one window where you can control who you're seeing and listening to. So you just click on the little arrow and it brings you from one to the other. And you also have the option, there is a microphone, a camera and a speaker. So you have the option of turning it, turning it on for all the rooms or off for all the rooms. And you can kick people out of the breakout rooms uh, all at once as well to bring them back in the main room or if the class is over. Oh, that's nice. That's a good one. It's a little bit more closely linked to Teams or to Zoom, eh? You can. Uh, well, it's a uh, Google Meet. Okay. It's Google Meet. It's a breakout on Google Meet. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I just want to say thank you for joining me today and and sharing some of your great ideas. And um, I will work on getting all this together, and then I will put it together and post it out there. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, we will uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. We also had some great ideas that were posted on Instagram by some of Chalk and Coffee's followers. And if you don't mind, I'd love to give a shout out to some of our followers. So Leela Burr. Uh, she loves using jigsaw activities, classic group discussions, and by getting them to stand up and walk around. I, I also love movement in the classroom, and jigsaws are good on so many different levels. Lauren MDL likes using short wordless videos to spark conversation in class. I, I'm a particular fan of Pixar shorts. They've got some lovely ones out there that are engaging and very conversation inspiring. And Chris Maravalakis uses InfoGap activities, which I also concur. They are awesome. Um, we've got Savario Phil, who is a new elementary teacher and created a little board game similar to Battleship and was using Guess Who. At Sounds like it was really fun and a great success. Keep those ideas posted as well. I love, I love hearing about all of them.
uh, Chloe Dupere was having students read a small text, choose one or two sentences that they thought were important, and then they were put into groups where they had to choose only one of the sentences to share with the class. So each student would have to present their sentence and why they chose it and defend their opinion. It's a great way to practice um, negotiation and debate skills. Fantastic. Uh, Kiana Miller really enjoys doing debates with their high school students, uh, sometimes using just a simple show of hands if they agree or disagree with the statement, and then pushing that conversation a little bit further. Uh, Kiana Miller also enjoys using board games. I love that too, because that's, that's part of what we were talking about, using an authentic purpose. And uh, we can't forget, authentic purpose does mean entertainment as well. Uh, uh, Dragostino Emily thinks that role play cards are super effective. And let's see, I think that's about it for everybody that was posting over on Instagram that we've got time for today. I do really want to say thank you for all of that great feedback and sharing in our community because everybody sees those ideas and can take them right back into their classrooms. That's awesome. Now let's be real, most teachers would give anything for a few quiet moments in our classroom when we're not targeting oral interaction, but some of us are facing a very different problem in our classroom. What can we do to help our nonverbal students who have selective mutism or they have autism or they have another speech and language processing disorder, or, or perhaps they're just painfully shy students? Well, as members of a collaborative team of professionals, we're key players in both the early identification and the therapy of these students. And there are a number of responsibilities we need to embrace when we're working with students with selective mutism, uh, pervasive language disorders, or autism. So first, we must acknowledge um, and be knowledgeable in the behaviors um, of the different sort of language issues that exist in our classrooms. In fact, without this knowledge, we might be inadvertently working against the necessary interventions. So don't be afraid to consult your school's student records and other professionals working in the classrooms. We're all part of the same team. So in addition to extending our knowledge on the behaviors, we also want to be knowledgeable um, on the different types of therapies being used with our different students. If we know about the therapy options and the general goals, we can collaborate with the, profession, the other professionals in the classroom for more success. And finally, we know not every school is equally, equally or adequately equipped. Um, so we need to stay up to date on classroom-based interventions ourselves um, in order to provide adequate support in the absence of professional recommendations. Now, I'm, I'm one of the lucky teachers and I work in a high school with excellent teacher aides. And in one of the classes, I have a student who is for all intents and purposes, nonverbal, uh, but we do manage to interact orally with response gestures, uh, pointing to what he wants uh, to what he wants to say using images. And he holds up cards with images on them. So oral interaction and oral evaluation can actually happen. We just need to be aware of the different kinds of tools that are available and, and out there. If anyone has any other ideas, I'd love to hear what you're doing in your classroom 
with um, our students who have language processing disorders, uh, you can drop us a line at um, Anchor FM. There's a little call-in button and we'd love to hear from you. Now, if you're interested in exploring the theory of oral interaction and feedback a little bit more, don't forget to check out the links in the podcast notes. And just before you hurry off for that second cup of coffee, I just want to let you know that we're excited about a new project that's in the works. It's called Espresso Shots, and it's short videos under a minute that deliver interesting language teaching tips and facts. So keep your eyes open on YouTube to subscribe. Thank you so much for joining me this episode. And if you enjoyed it, please share it with your fellow teachers. And if you like what we're doing here, hit the subscribe button. And I read each and every email and little bit of feedback, whether you send it out on Instagram, Twitter, or by email. So don't be shy, drop me a line. I I really do welcome all comments. And finally, If you have questions or a podcast topic idea that you'd like to hear discussed on Chalk and Coffee, let me know by using the message button on Anchor FM. You simply hit it and record your message, and I'll try to answer your question in a future episode of the podcast.